0: Welcome to Stories of Recovery, a Mar Recovery Resources production from Mar Addiction Treatment Centers. I'm Matt Shedd. After a short stint as a police officer with a drug addiction, Gil thought he could clean up his act if he became a pastor like his father. However, he found out that his desire for alcohol, drugs, and approval followed him into the pulpit as well. Throughout years of success as a well-respected and beloved Methodist minister with a large congregation, Gill found himself increasingly dependent on drugs to perform his duties.
1: I mean, I had ministered all up and down East Tennessee. They were saying, am I still married if he did it? Is my baby still baptized? You know, all kind, that just—that's little stuff. Um, I mean, did he steal money? It was news, and because I totally, you know, fought.
0: Despite having a PhD in theology and years working in the church, he claims that it wasn't until he came to Mar and was working at Waffle House that he really began to encounter the God he'd been seeking for so
1: long. But in high school, the last junior and senior, we drank. Uh, all the time and, and got pills every once in a while from our parents, steal them from our parents. And, and but got to uh, college away from home, living in a fraternity house, uh, you know, speed, uh, amphetamines uh, started doing LSD and all the drugs uh, that, uh, you know, if anybody offered me anything, uh, I, I would do it alcohol was always on the table but i don't think it was uh it was my drug of 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 choice but if drugs were around um they would take precedence over the alcohol it took me five years three summer schools to get out of out of college um and so that fifth year i was only taking like one course i was majoring in accounting which i did major in accounting and what I wanted to do was go into the FBI, and you had to major in chemistry, law, or accounting, and I picked accounting because a fraternity brother was the son of the accounting teacher, and so that we had all the tests and all that, so <laughs> that kind of thing. Uh, anyway, so it's it's interesting that I got in so much trouble in high school that after four years in college, um, I was working in a department store, and, and it, it was Christmas, and we— the store hired a policeman to walk around for shoplifting purposes. He had his uniform. <clears throat> I got connected to him, and he said, you know, the, the chief uh, is, is hiring police officers because he wants some college graduates. <laughs> and I said, you think he'd hire me? And he said, "Oh well, it's worth a shot. And I'd never fired a gun or, uh, oh my, you know, if people my age know Barney Fife, that that would be me. And, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, but I went to the chief and, and told him, I said, Hey man, I've never fired a gun. And, but he goes, you're hired. Uh, because you're, you know, I, I want college graduates and you're willing to do it. So, <laughs> I, I knew what it was like sitting in the back of the car. Uh, you know, I, I, I cut back on on some things but because the the uniform the gun the power the car uh, gave me you know some filled the gap uh, it was like a drug drive down yeah. the street with sunglasses on and get out of the car and you you know you you the man yeah. <laughs> and I was I was bottoming out my first bottom was 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 right right then because I was just a rat, just with all kinds of women and just just a mess. Uh, I was a policeman, but still I was a fraud because uh, I was always a fraud. I mean, uh, uh, I was doing drugs and yet busting people. And uh, uh, when I did midnight shift, we all, you know, about four in the morning, we would uh, find a place and and park and sleep because four o'clock, nothing was going on, but we used to leave churches uh, unlocked and every, when I did midnight shift, I would go to this church that was on the campus and I would sit there and pray and pray because I was scared to be a police. It was scary. And, um, and and so sometimes I would go into the church and pray at the altar and, um, and, and I was already feeling like that conflict and everything. And I said, Lord, you know, um, uh, if you, if you can, uh, my life's a mess already. I'm 22. If you can do better, have at it. <clears throat> and, and, uh, I debate, I don't know whether he would or not, but he took it on. And I came out of that church that night feeling, uh, different. Now I thought everything was solved, but I, <laughs> little did I know everything was just beginning in a very difficult way. Um, um, But God, uh, something changed and and where, you know, I can only see 48 hours ahead and God can see 48 years ahead. And so there's a difference, a big difference. So um, and because of my need for admiration and the limelight preacher's kid and my father and I were estranged, uh, it, it took two weeks for me to decide I wanted to be a minister. I couldn't just be a Christian; I needed to be a celebrity Christian, and and so uh, that meant uh, uh, going back to school for three years, getting a master's, which I did at Emory. Uh, went back later, got a doctorate, and and but uh, becoming a minister uh, reunited me with my estranged father when I called him and told him uh, he. It, it was great um, and, and and that was our common ground from from for a long time to uh, talk about sermons and didn't talk about feelings and he wanted to, to to do something for me he was a great pastor but his own flesh and blood it, 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 i don't know he had a hard time and i you know uh, i quit drinking um i quit drinking and i quit everything and I was running on this high from being a policeman, you know? Now I'm going to be a minister and getting a master's degree. It took three years. I mean, it was full time stuff, and and I wanted to preach, though. I wanted to get my. I wanted to be a reverend, be my own pastor. And they had student appointments close to Atlanta, like uh, mine became hour and a half away. Uh, and so after the first year, uh, I got an appointment outside chattanooga in the country uh, in a place called jasper two country churches three miles apart and um uh, i was the, i was a reverend and I, I lived in the back of a hardware store um uh, uh, because they didn't have a place to live and and it was very a student appointment very part-time i had 18 people in one church 22 in the other and and, and uh so I stayed two years, and supposedly after two years you graduate from seminary, and then they give you a big appointment. But we had grown, and 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 we were having forty and sixty, <clears throat> and we started a youth group, and th- we didn't have a parsonage, but um, we bought one, and I the, I told the bishop, I begged, and I said, can can I want to go back and and that, i went back uh to the student appointment made it full time and there were some old timers at, at old ministers who came up to me uh at a conference and they would say uh, you know you will never regret that decision uh, which meant that instead of everybody uh graduating you know and st- stop their student appointment wanting Wanting a big church, and I was willing to go back, and I was. I, and uh, <clears throat> but after that, the um, uh, the uh, bishop uh, moved me. It stayed that, that church stayed full time, but I, I went on. Um, now, I mean, now as a, there's a series of, of churches and appointments, and and uh, and I began uh, when I moved. I got back. Uh, into drugs, and it, it, this is how I did it. Uh, my father took pain pills for his arthritis, and one time I had hurt my shoulder, and and he gave me two of those. And I, it was a Sunday night, I, I can, and they went to church, and I sat in front of the TV, and just I was I it, it I was on top of the world, man. It was I felt great. And I knew it had to be the pill, so I stole some of his, and I continued to do that <clears throat> until I became a minister. And then back then, you, as a minister, I could go to a pharmacist, and, and maybe he was a member of my church, and go, hey, man, my shoulder's hurting. And he goes, just come by tomorrow, and I'll give you, you know. And they would write the prescription and give me a 100, like Darvon or whatever, <clears throat> then, and, and, uh, uh, fascinating that, you know, cause there was no regulation, no nothing. And, uh, and so, I, I had uh, began to have <clears throat> two or three uh, pharmacists and go to different pharmacies. And I kept stealing my father's pills. And then I said, I can get my own. And so, and when I started taking 30 a day, I, I, I had something had to give. And so, I shared that with some people in the church and I said I'm having a nervous breakdown so I went to a hospital in Knoxville treatment. I went my first treatment and and uh, somewhere between 30 31 32 I stayed 6 weeks and then went to a halfway house and they let me go back and it was only an hour away so I went back to preach and and uh, be a, you know be the pastor uh, of this you know, country kind of a church, but it, it had grown, and anyway, so got off uh, pills, and then my new addiction was uh, people. Um, uh, in other words, I I worked um, one hour for every uh, minute I was in the pulpit preaching, because when you preach, and then then people come out and say, "Man, man, you're great." That was the best sermon I've ever heard. And, you know, to myself, I was saying, damn, uh, if that was the best, what do I do next week? i, I tell you what you do. You take pills preach, and preach on. And uh, so when I was a policeman, I lived in conflict. When I was in school, I was in conflict. A minister of a... As I was growing and, and doing well, I still preached from the pulpit a gospel that I truly couldn't receive myself. Um, I mean, many times I, you know, knelt at the altar and just begged God, uh, but it, <clears throat> I kept, you know. Uh, so, anyway, uh, I, it, being addicted to people meant that I worked. Uh, all the time. If you had a kid that had to have tubes in their ears and they were going to be at the hospital at six in the morning to have their tubes out, I was there at 530 waiting for you as a pastor. And I cared. I did. I cared about people. But I also wanted them to say to their neighbor, you wouldn't believe our pastor came when the kid just needed tubes. So I was always with people, helping people, pastoral care Preaching great sermons and and building buildings and adding staff, I, so uh, it was a you know I, I was addicted uh, to that just like other people get addicted to the work you know workaholic and money and power and all that, uh, and I kept um, it, it kept advancing uh, along the way um, until in, in the ninety you know uh, ninety two I went to a big church in Knoxville and. And uh, that's uh, did great until 97, 98, 98 is when I started going downhill because um, I had met this uh, girl. I fell in love with it when I was in 1992 and uh, um, uh, drinking wine. Well, I mean, I drank Then I drank. We drank every day antic and, and I started taking pills again and speed anything I could get and go to doctors and I had some surgeries so it was some legitimate but uh, uh, so I got it in 98 I uh, I was I uh, was in decline uh, I left this big church uh, for one church downtown a huge church that only had one service because people had moved out of downtown. And it would be easier to be an addict at that church than anywhere because not much demand. But um, but that um, I I crashed there and took a leave of absence. I was married, of course, married to this girl, and and we still drank. And but I moved into the garage. uh, Started um, found a doctor who would give me uh, Adderall, and and I increased, she uh, it was a woman psychiatrist, so I was good with her. And she was giving uh, me uh, 210 20-milligram pills a month. So I, I was taking seven a day of 20 milligrams plus hydrocodone plus drinking a, <clears throat> about a gallon of wine. That was my cocktail, and I figured a way to go through the day of a constant high, whether it was alcohol, you know, one part alcohol, two parts speed, one, and, and man, I, I, I it, it, went down. And, uh, um, so the insanity of it all is I went to, uh, uh, I decided to go to Dallas to meet with Dick Ziegler to see if I could get a job as a motivational speaker. My whole world was, falling apart. I mean, I was sick and my marriage was sick, everything's sick, but I thought I could move to Dallas and be a motivational speaker, help other people get their life together. And of course I, I was laughed out of there. <clears throat> I had a truck and drove all the way to Dallas and just, a it was, a, it took me a long time to get there a long time to get back. And I didn't know what I was doing. And when I pulled, came back home, I. uh, uh I pulled into the driveway about ten ten at night <clears throat> at our house, and and the, all my minister friends and uh, a doctor and a lawyer was there. They were had been previous members of my church, and uh, district superintendent, and you know three minister friends. And I got out of the truck and said, "This looks like a intervention." And they said, "Bingo!" And so we we went in for. A uh, couple of hours, and one one guy said I was like a, a sword fighter. That they would lay out how sick I was, and and I would just fight them back, like you know, just to finally I just you know told them go to hell, and and I left. And I can this is my house. I can come back anytime. The lawyer said I oh, know you can't. We changed the locks, all the locks. And I said, well, go to hell again and uh, and left and went and got my truck and started pulling out of the driveway. Where I was going was, was uh, to die. I didn't know that. I thought <clears throat> I had to get away from there. And this one minister ran alongside my truck. I mean, my window. This was <clears throat> very cold. It was the first of December, and, and the window was down about halfway, and he ran beside uh, the truck or jogged a little bit and and said hey just you, you don't have to. they wanted to take me to the hospital that night and he said just spend the night let's go eat uh, eat some food and and i'll pay for your hotel and i said okay and so if he hadn't truly if he hadn't done that uh, it's these little things you know people i mean he ran beside my truck and begged me just to stay for the night and that that Saved my life. That's just one little thing, you know. So I stayed instead of one night. I stayed four nights and uh, lived like as I lived in the dark. In there's a Bible verse in Isaiah where the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light, and we use that at Christmas. And those who had walked in deep darkness, you know. Uh, talks about deep darkness and and i went there and i'd been there before but those four days i you know they wanted me to go to treatment and i said uh, you know i'm not and i knew i had to do something so <clears throat> after four days of deep darkness i decided hey i go to treatment and get 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 healthy again uh, uh <clears throat> you know maybe they have massage and, and you know <laughs> Whatever, and uh, and it was uh, the doctor's nurse had been to Mar, the psychiatrist who was giving me Adderall. So they found my friends who intervened, found out about her, went to see her, and said, "You're in trouble," you know. And and uh, and so when I when I, I after four days, when I went to see her to get a refill. She said no and turned me over to this nurse who had been to Mar and said, uh, I think you're going to Mar and called Mar right then. And I said, Okay, I'll go. And so, you know, uh, one thing I had to do before I left, and that is to walk in <clears throat> to the bishop's office and surrender my credentials. And that was a big one. Uh, and then I drove to Mar. The day I got, I showed up at Mar and I drank all the way to Mars, so they wouldn't let me in. I got there. I was supposed to be there like at two in the afternoon. I didn't get there till like seven thirty at night. And Yule Harmon met me at the door. I, I came through the door where they're they're having a professionals group. There's forty professionals in this this room, and I I came in there and they of course looked at me like like uh, they knew I was new. And Ewell, you know, Ewell Hardman was there then. He, he wouldn't let me stay. He said, hope you make it through the night. And I, I, I had a truck, so I was okay. And uh, uh, so, uh, but it, I was 48, uh, you know. I, I met Dave Devitt and Rick McCain, and oh, my my first impressions were – um. I hid uh, Adderall uh, in my belongings, which I didn't have many belongings. I had a truck and belongings, and I hid some Adderall. So first few days, um, you know, uh, I was taking that, and that that kind of helped. But um, uh, they put me on a buddy system. They put everybody on a buddy system that, that somebody who has been there for a while uh, in the halfway house, in those apartments, uh, take you on and never let you out of your their sight. You know they're supposed to be with you. No phone. Make your bed. Be you know be what your sponsor tells you. And I was uh, I had been a pastor of big church. Uh, I'm a I have a doctor's degree from Emory University. You everybody go to hell. <laughs> you know so so. I used the phone, I didn't make my bed, and, and uh, I got away from my buddy. And so they called me in, Rick, you know, Rick McCain called me in and said, uh, um, we're, we're, you're not going to be able to stay here. And uh, I said, well, uh, that's fine with me, I don't, but I don't have anywhere to go. He goes, uh, that's not my problem. He said, "You, we give you a task just to make your bed." And I said, "I don't want to make my bed." He goes, "If you can't make your bed, how do you expect to put a marriage back together?" You know that kind of thing. You know if you can't resist from using the phone, um, then you need to go uh, leave here and use your phone. You know, um, and, and, and and so uh, I caught. Then I was mad. Uh, at the whole deal and I knew I needed to stay I didn't want to be homeless in Atlanta and so I said okay he said you got you know you you need to get a a job and that's when I got a job at Cracker Barrel and uh, I was given a a lady uh, to train me and I might have told you this story when we were together but uh she was a country lady and had a beehive hairdo, and and she had five stars across her apron, man. I, of course, I had none, and and she was supposed to train me, and and I sucked, man. I I, I mean, I, I have I have a doctorate, but if you said to me uh, about the menu, if I said, "Can I take your order?" and you said, "Can I substitute this for that?" I would say, "Not today." You can't today because I don't know how to do it, <clears throat> and um, so I had a hard time with the menu. I just couldn't do it, and uh, she was uh, hated training me um, uh, because I was obstinate I, you know, obstinate, and and uh, so she said there's a particular way that when they put the cornbread out, they uh, we put it, we don't just toss it in there. We turn them up, and and she, she said, "You're not doing that. You need to do that." And some, we were standing back behind the wall where the kitchen is and it comes across this metal table. And I took them and just, I messed them up, messed them all up. And she slammed her hand down on that metal table and said, if I've told you once, I've told you a hundred times uh, where the cornbread goes. So I had a perfect opening to tell her where I thought the cornbread should go. and the manager came over and said yeah, you know give me your apron and see you later so i called uh, halfway house uh, because we had a meeting a house meeting later and uh, i said uh, john couldn't get me he goes oh, why because i got fired he goes get yourself home i don't care They nobody would come get me because they were tired of my crap <clears throat> you know it's a, a Clinically, it's a, a very th- therapeutic community, and and I, uh, I really found that out. And so they were taking care of themselves by saying, we're not bailing you out and you get home. That's when I had to walk eight miles back to the halfway house. And, and uh, <laughs> along those eight miles, uh, it's funny, I, I started to break a little because I, I started thinking, I, <laughs> I started thinking, Maybe it's me. <laughs> Maybe I'm the problem. <laughs> Maybe it, it, it's me. And, and so, go back to Rick McCain's office, who's uh, I didn't like I, like him until I got out. And and uh, uh, but uh, he said uh, he's the one that said you got fired. You missed a meeting. You got forty eight hours to get another job and get your act together, or you're going to be homeless. And, I, and Again, I didn't want to be homeless in Atlanta. I had a sack of clothes, and that's all. And and uh, so uh, somebody had a connection with Waffle House, and I went, and that's when I got the job at Waffle House. And I was, oh, uh, uh, backing up just a little bit, when I was uh, at the beginning of Mar, they put you in this group of people who are new, uh, a feeling group. <laughs> it's called feeling group. And it means just that because most of us have not felt uh, what it means to be human, uh, in a sense, Um, that everything revolved around anesthetizing. You know, I tell people that uh, people do drugs for three reasons. It makes you feel good. It alters your thinking and it takes away your pain. Those are three great things. Uh, and, And we all love it for that. But it stops working, of course. You Know, uh, and so I'm in feeling school, uh, and they knock on the door and they said, Uh, is you, you got a truck out there in the parking lot? I said, Uh, yeah, he said, They're towing it, and I ran out there and I, I got with the, the guy and I said, Please, this is all I got in the world, don't take my truck, man. And it was an old F 154, and I said, Please, don't take my he said why are you uh, in here? I said, for addiction. He goes, then uh, get back or I'll call the police. I'm taking the damn truck. And, and uh, I watched him pull away. And you know what? I was mad as hell at him. I he goes, you have to pay for these things or we can get them. I had paid in six months or whatever. And they said, when you don't pay and I see, the insanity of not paying for six months and then being mad at him for taking my truck. I turn around in the parking lot and all the glass there, there was all of them were standing there and Yule Harvin and Doug Brush and they were looking and they were like this. <laughs> they were just smiling and like, yes, I mean, that was a, a good point. And so I got in trouble. You know, I was constantly in trouble uh, and until I got a job at the Waffle House. Waffle House changed my life. So uh, Waffle House began something for me that was different because at Waffle House, you, you work in front of people and you're cleaning dishes and, you know, cooking in front of... And they thought that was a great fit for me because they were always trying to beat... the ego out of me. I I had inflated my ego because I had lost everything, my credentials, my home, everything that we think is everything Uh, that, that, that was gone. And yet I still help people will uh, fall all the way, you know, to about right here. And then we still kind of talk a bunch of crap and we're because this is bottom. And that's a scary place to be. You know, uh, if they only knew, and I've tried to tell people that you you get right here, let go and hit bottom, because you're going to anyway, so go ahead and do that. Because I said, when I finally let go and hit bottom, I found it to be a blessed place of peace. Greatest place I've ever been. But uh, backing up, I got a job at the Walton House, and uh, wearing that shirt cooking in front of people. I was charged with cleaning the restaurants um, and, and uh, uh, you know, just washing the dishes and riding the bus at six in the morning, come out of the walk, come out of the halfway house and stand there at the bus stop and, and take bus 38 over to Jimmy Carter Boulevard and, and uh, start my shift from seven to three and then come back to halfway house, go to meetings and so uh, every day I was doing that um, and and going to work, and it was a uh, February uh, morning, and it was that day. It was freezing cold, and it was raining. The rain was blowing sideways. I mean, uh, uh, mixed with ice, and uh, I I had this waffle house shirt, but I, I had no coat, nothing, and so I'm standing out at the bus stop with a b- bunch of other people, uh, and just um, it. Man, it hurts your face to, so, you know, you turn away from it, and I didn't have an umbrella, and I'm just getting soaked, and i just, I, I'm, man. <laughs> so, after all the trouble I'd gotten in, and I'm and, and standing there after having worked at Waffle House for about six weeks and riding the bus and doing all that, I sat, you know, I stood there in the rain and I turned back to the rain in defiance, and and the, it was still dark. There was a halo around the streetlights. Uh, you could see the rain pouring, you know, down. And and I tried to look uh, beyond that. Uh, and and I don't know if I was talking to God or just it, it was a question I asked by myself because. I, I had felt it coming, that, that almost like a train in the distance, that you can hear it coming. And, and uh, as it comes, it gets louder and louder. And then when it comes by, it, it just is deafening. And, and that's what was going on inside my head. And my head was about to explode. And I looked up, and, and I looked around, and I said, how did I get here? How did I get here? Uh, And I fell on my knees and and I asked a second question, which answered the first, which in hindsight, some years later, I realized uh, I was good. The second question was, what have I done? Now, in the past, here's the question I would have asked. What's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to me? This time, what have I done? How did I get here? And and uh, I couldn't go to work that day, went up, and got everybody else was gone. And I curled in a fetal position on the twin bed, soaking wet, and stayed there for a day and a half. And they'll tell you. I mean, I cried, and I'd go into the closet to, uh, I'd beat the, <clears throat> I'd beat the walls, and guttural sounds coming out. My, I bruised my. I mean, I, I it was like an exorcism. That, that, in a sense, I mean, something, something was going on in inside me. You know, I, I, I cried and I cried and I cried because I had much to cry about. They came in, my roommates got home, and I didn't eat, and I just stayed in that position and kept going to the closet. um, But uh, after about a day and a half, something changed. I got up, took a shower, came out, and um, after about a day, my roommate said, you've changed. I said, no, I haven't. He goes, yes, you have. Just uh, basically, <laughs> get with it because <clears throat> you know they would tell me that sometimes that, and I've told people that people around you that know you well will notice it before you do. You, it, for you to notice it, it would be uh, uh, you know would negate everything in a sense. It's like somebody saying, I wrote a book on humility and how I attained it. <laughs> you know, the, it's like writing a book on that. Uh, but, but, you know, you said something about humility back when I came out of that, that day and a half of crying and, and I, I came out of that, I was done. Done. Uh, and you talk humbled um, because what I, I say in that time, in that day and a half, from the bus stop to the closet, to the bed, uh, that I had gone to rock bottom. And, and I'm telling you that, that, that I got there and let go and hit bottom. And, and uh, it, it was a blessed place of peace because I hit legitimately um, and, and realized that I didn't have to do anything anymore except love, try to love God and stay sober and love my neighbor and get, take, you know, just it was, it was, I was free, <laughs> but I, I was at bottom and I lost everything. But I was never, uh, you know, Zig Ziggler used to say, I'll see you at the top or over the top. Well, I was at the top, but I was at, uh, you know, John Denver used to sing a song about Rocky Mountain High, and, and uh, so I call that Rocky Bottom High. That bottom, you know, I found God uh, there. God is a rock bottom God. Um, and uh, the, the way I felt, it was like he took me uh, in his arms and, and, and said, man, it took you a long time to get here, but now we can begin uh 48 years old 49 then 49 years old and uh he's now he can begin and took me out of the pit um and and my roommate said something that's changed and man it had for example i'm still working at waffle house and i said uh, uh in group i said other places i said if God wants me to work at Waffle House the rest of my life, what more is there? What more could there possibly be if that's what God wants? And I was, if he wants me to ride the bus, what more is there? I was, I was there, man. I was, I was done. And, uh, um, <laughs> you know, that uh, we we say uh, stay through the miracle, stay through the miracle. And I could have left many times, you know, from the from the truck, him riding beside it to uh, Rick McCain, give me another chance, all that, you know. And, and uh, um, uh, <laughs> I stayed through the miracle, you know. <laughs> and, and by golly, you know, uh, I get out. Uh, uh, of course, my truck had been re- repossessed. So I find enough money uh, uh, to buy a Greyhound ticket. When they said I needed to leave, I stayed until middle of May, from December 12th to May. And I said, you sure? I, I really don't want to go <laughs> because where am I going? He said, you got to go sometime and start over. So I got a Greyhound ticket, went back to my home, was Knoxville, Tennessee, and got off at the Greyhound bus station and got stepped off the bus onto the fragments of, of my life I had left behind five months earlier. Uh, I mean, my gosh, people were, I mean, I had ministered all up and down East Tennessee. They were saying, am I still married if he did it? Is my baby still baptized? But, you know, all kind, that just that's little stuff. Um, I mean, did he steal money? Um, it it was news, and because I had totally, you know, fallen, and and uh, and I wasn't about to tell anybody, uh, hey, I've changed. I I didn't want to. So what I did was was get up and uh, I stayed at uh, anyway at the bus stop. I I I got off the bus and I I didn't have anywhere to stay. I wasn't going to knock on any door of people I knew, and I knew hundreds. So I went to the Salvation Army, bed number 42, and uh, stood in line, got my sheets, and first two nights free after that, seven bucks a night. <clears throat> and um, I was at Second Methodist Pastor for a while at the end, and we fed the homeless. And, and I recognized some of the homeless, especially when we went to eat. We ate, uh, you know, canned ham, fruit cocktail, and uh, a drink. And... Uh, you don't, nobody's talking in, in the cafeteria. Nobody, you just hear forks hit the plate because what What do they have to talk about? Uh, the ball game tomorrow? Uh, their kids' uh, graduation? Nothing. Uh, unless they're talking crap, you know, just, uh, and I sat there and I know they were looking at me and recognized who I was and thinking, what the heck is he doing here? Because I was in bed 42 and I could reach out and touch the people beside me. I had a sack of clothes held my, those clothes. And, uh, and I, I knew enough that when I walked into the Salvation Army to my bed 42 to, to walk in, like you, you got to walk in and you look at when they looking at you, you look back because I knew I was scared to death. But at the same time, if you act scared, it's not good. So I knew enough to, and that's from working with the homeless before I ever went to Mar, But So, uh, um, uh, you know, they uh, turned the lights back on at 5 a.m. and make everybody get out. And uh, I called a minister friend who was in uh, the uh, um, intervention. And, and uh, I stayed in uh, a Sunday school room for, uh, 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 for three months. So they have set up a. This is a huge church, and it was in the Family Life Center a gymnasium, and all these rooms, and I had showers, and so they set up a, a Sunday school room. Uh, with and the custodians, you know, became a family uh, to me, and and um, because I mean, I always, you know, I always made my bed, you know, uh, because at least uh, there was order, you know, in in that. So uh, uh, because I could go out in the world and have a horrible time, uh, but come back and if my bed is made, at least there's some order somewhere. And I had had three warrants for my arrest when I got home, Uh, you know, from writing bad checks. um, The TBI was was watching uh, uh, me because of the drug thing with this doctor. I mean, there was a lot, you know, going on. Um, um, And I owed uh, uh, $15,000 to the IRS, 18,000 back child support. Um, I had uh, no car and, and no job and no place to live. Yeah, and all of that, uh, the heaviness. Um, I wrote, uh, this is backing up a little bit, on the steps of uh, Salvation Army, I wrote a, a thing, and, and I it, it was, of all days, it was Easter. Easter. <clears throat> and I said, you know, the 25 years prior to this, I had been robed in the Easter finery, looking at all the beautiful people in their new pastel clothes and, and the children searching for eggs and the anthem and the sermon and resurrection. And I was in that twin bed, bed 42. And I said, We're, you know, where in the hell, you know, is Easter in this place? Uh, and here's what God said. He, you know, inside me, God said, uh, bed 42 is your Easter. Get over it and get on with it. That's what he said. I said, "Where is Easter in this place?" He said, "You're in it, bed forty two. Don't look further than that. Don't look further than than that." Uh, so I began to stay. You know, got like I said, got a job at selling cars, and and soon as I got out of Mar, I got a job and was living in the Sunday school room, and you know, making my bed. And people uh, had Sunday school in there, and they they people wondered about. Who I was, and then I started coming to church, and and that people started, uh, uh, you know, uh, 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 connecting, you know, uh, to me like I was a pet, not a pet project, but uh, you know, the minister, the senior minister. This is a huge church. I mean, like three, you know, average since three thousand, and like five services on in two different, several different areas, and and. And he became my advocate, the senior minister, and and uh, uh, so he he helped me, uh, uh, you know, a, a great deal with the people, and and that uh, um, he was the first one to allow me. Uh, I, t- I began to teach a class uh, after a couple of years on the twelve steps, called Steps to Spiritual Freedom and had a full class and and uh but he he's the one that let me do that i lived in that one room apartment for uh three years and and uh, bought a 750 fifty dollar car and uh and going to that church going working at toyota um uh, uh just getting as close as i could you know to god uh, and helping people, man. I was uh, taking people to Mar. I was, uh, uh, I, I mean, I, I don't know how to, uh, uh, I was at peace. I mean, there was a great, great uh, peace. And, and, and then one of the ministers on this church staff um, had a, came to me and said, let's have lunch. And I, on my day off from selling cars, went to lunch gave me this brochure about this program called Celebrate Recovery at Saddleback at Rick Warren's church in California. And she said if they do a summit three days in California, teaching other people how to, uh, you know, started in their church. Would you like to go? I said, absolutely. And so I I go there and I come back like, oh, my gosh. Uh Uh-uh. Because I thought when I was, uh, uh, you know, living, uh, uh, well, I was living, still living there. I, I was living in that one room apartment when she came to me. But when I was in that uh, Sunday school room, um, this huge building and I was there by myself at night. So you walk, I'd walk the halls and, and they had a chapel and, and uh, uh, I can remember going in there, standing behind the pulpit and just crying because it's like, Man, I blew it. You know, I'll never, ever, you know, uh, preach again. Um, and and uh, But, you know, uh, if, if, if God had told me uh, right after I got out of Mar, like, uh, chill, man, this is going to be great. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to, you know, find the woman of your dreams. You're going you're gonna to lead to successful, celebrate recovery, all this kind of stuff and, and uh, ride a book, blah, 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 um, I would have blown it, you know. That kind of success would have blown—I needed to live at Salvation Army. I needed to clean restrooms at Waffle House, you know. I needed to ride the bus.
0: That's it for this episode of Stories of Recovery. Thanks so much to our special guest, Gil, for sharing his story with us. Gil has a book deal, and he's actually in the process of writing all about his addiction and his recovery. I'm sure it's going to be a great read. If you're interested in getting updates anytime we put out a new episode, all you have to do is go ahead and go to marinc.org/text. That's m a r r i n c dot o r g slash text, and you can sign up for text notifications anytime we put out a new podcast episode privacy is incredibly important to us. So we won't use your number to spam you. And we definitely won't give it to any other third party companies. It'll just be for our use for letting you know when we put out new stuff um, that we think you'd be interested in. So again, that's marinc.org text. I'm Matt Shedd. Our executive producer is David Tate. Thanks so much for joining us. And we look forward to having you again next time.